Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Hey, welcome back, guys. This good. week is going to be epic. What was that, Brandon? Good, good to be here. <laughs> Holy cow. So much has happened. There's some good announcements. Oh, you know what? There's a Google announcement that hit yesterday that, that we should actually touch on. We don't have to Talking spend a ton chats? of time. No, I'm not. Oh, no. The new featured nope. snippets. Man. No. Yeah. Oh, new oh. featured snippets. Hey. So uh, let's actually just take a minute to run down the three things we're going to be talking about in our current events section, and then we'll, we'll set up the rest of the conversation. There are three things that we're going to quickly talk about. The first is this Google update that came out yesterday. It was announced by Google. The second, there's a new social platform out there, and the first million users get a little something special. So you want to pay attention to that. The third is about Rand Fishkin. Let's get into it. My boy. Do you care what order we go in? Nope. Well, I'm interested to hear. I Google also made the big announcement of like their Slack competitor getting out of beta. And now it's available for anyone with like a G Suite account. But I have not heard about this snippets. Okay, so, so tell me more. Here, here's, here's the title of their, because this is on the Google blog. It says, providing more comprehensive results to your questions and search. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but it is really interesting. And it's, uh, it could impact your business. So if someone asks a question, Google attempts to find context and intent and tries to deliver up results that are based on their assumptions, okay? So the example they give is a question like, garden needs full sun, question mark? Garden needs full sun? And you and what, they, what they're talking about in the blog post is someone who writes in a query like this could mean one of two things, probably more than two, but their examples are <clears throat> when someone types in garden needs full sun, question mark? That could mean what garden plants need full sun? Or it could mean what, what is full sun? What counts as full sun? So instead of trying to guess which of the two you mean, they're giving you both. So in the, in the snippets results page, and what's interesting is that two separate two separate websites can give two separate answers. So now, what does this mean? This means that if there's a competing snippet that you're going for, you could potentially be there along with your competition. Now, here's my question. Right now, voice search is getting bigger and bigger, and it's pulling directly from snippets. How is voice search going to d determine which of the two snippets to deliver up? Is it going to ask you a follow-up question? Hey, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Garden needs full sun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jacob. Uh, which do you mean? Do you mean what garden plants need full sun or what counts as full sun? Uh, neither. I don't even understand. What, what do you mean? How's that going to work with voice search? Well, first off, you sound like a uh, movie phone, but the female version. Thank you for calling movie phone. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have your voice than Alexa. That was pretty good. Yeah. So what do you think? Tell me. Is this know. going to impact voice, voice search? I think so. It has to. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Voice correct. Do you think that uh, you know your Google Home or your, your Amazon Echo will be intuitive enough to, to either take the first one or give you the option to guess or maybe give you the answer to the first one and say, did you mean this instead? Yeah, tell me what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've, I've noticed uh, I, can't, I have both Amazon Echo and uh, Google Home. Yeah. And I can't remember which one it is. I, I think it's Google, but they'll attempt to answer the question, which usually does a better job than Alexa, uh, but then it will follow it up with, like, did that answer your question? So I know it, I, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Google. But they're definitely keeping track of, okay, when we're giving this answer to that question, eight out of 80% say yes, so that's good. If it gets lower than this percentage, maybe we try this answer. I don't know. But do you yeah. think, do I you think th voice search is going to continue to become a bigger and bigger part of marketing. The tough part now is no one's really asking like, 
what uh, what product should I use for my email marketing, Alexa? They're just like, what's the weather? What's the recipe for this? Play this song. So until we get to the point where people are like going to their virtual or their voice assistant for like advice on buying a product, which is better, these headphones or that headphones? I don't know when we're going to get to that point, if ever, but until it gets there, I think it's easy for marketers to say, eh, I've got bigger priorities. All right. At least that's what my mindset is. What about, what if after being asked, was that helpful? And nine out of 10 people say no. Do you think that'll impact the search results online? Hmm. I could. I think so. Yeah. 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 Cause they have data online too. What if the online data suggests that the result online is good, but on voice it's not. That's true. User intent could be different voice or right but if they're pulling if they're pulling from a snippet and they're realizing holy cow the snippet isn't helping voice search but it is helping online search what do we do you have to pull from a new source i don't know yeah i'm sure it affects probably right why wouldn't it yep that makes me wonder if it can be gamed right what if uh what if you get on what what if you uh buy your company you know, you got 400 people, you buy 400 people, a uh, uh, Google home, you tell them to take it home, ask this question and say, no, maybe we have a billboard with dev mountain right now, plastered all over Utah saying, okay, Google, what is dev mountain? Hopefully my phone didn't just go off, but, uh, hope I'm trying to see if I can track trends. Like are more and more people asking that? And then will that allow us, I don't know, it'd just be like an interesting case study to see if we can manipulate like Google search suggestions and whatnot. Yeah, that's a cool test. I saw that billboard actually today coming down. And have you tested it? I guess you're on iPhone. I'm on so iPhone, you, man. You gotta say hey Siri, which hasn't been our some of our tests that keep saying Death Mountain. That's N- weird. Not dev. So Death we're Mountain. like, let's not do a Siri billboard yet. Yeah, don't do that. So last thing on this, this was not uh planned, but because we're talking about voice Gary V has doubled down on voice search. Oh yeah. You guys hear about VoiceCon? Uh-huh. Provide uh, presented by Vayner Media. It's like a thousand bucks a ticket. Oh, I don't know. A thousand bucks seems pretty cheap for a marketing conference nowadays. Uh VoiceCon Tuesday, May twenty second in New York. It's only one day, so one day in New York City. Vayner Media. Yeah, it was, it was interesting seeing that. Okay, so that's the news with Google. The next thing, let's talk uh, social media. Vero, have you Vero, signed up? Man. No. So, in fact, I, I kind of, I kind of teased it at the beginning, talking about the first million people. I'm pretty sure there are over a million there, people there already on there. They just but, announced it. Well, when? Well, I just signed up right before the show. Download the app. Yeah. Got myself a profile. Followed Brandon, who's yeah. already on there. Yeah. Hey. And, like the second post that came up on my feed was Vero saying over a million users and still free for life for now. Okay. That's what, yeah, that's what they're at about 3 million right now. Yeah. They're at 3 million. They say the first million and then they're like, well, I guess we got to keep giving this away for free. And then they don't give a date. They said date coming soon. So until further notice, you can still get on for free. So what are your thoughts on Vero? So I first heard about it from my sister-in-law who texted me. I could tell it was one of those like, you know, pre-written invites to invite your friends. So I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll look at it because a lot of times she'll like text me about weird networks like that to check out because she knows I'm in marketing. And then just yesterday, maybe it was two days ago, one of my coworkers mentioned it like, have you guys heard about this app? And then everyone's like, yeah, I've heard about it. So right then I'm like, okay, we got to get on this because – a bunch of people of like who aren't super like they're not paying attention to trends like I am and they're talking about it. So I might be missing out on something. So I quickly signed up for it and my initial impressions, which it sounds like they're trying to address it is it, it was very buggy getting on search was slow. Loading the app was slow, super hitting slow button multiple times, yeah. which I think is server bandwidth. Yeah. I think so many people are they're growing up at the same insanely time. fast. So do you think that their growth has to do with the fact that there was the limited, you know, first million people are free? I think there's that FOMO aspect of it. Right. That was the only thing that I could think of that would make it worth downloading was, oh, I might, uh, I mean, free for life. That's, that's a big deal. For those of you that haven't heard of Vero, Vero is a social network that, uh, 
in principle is basically at some point they're planning on tying a subscription to it. But it's ad free. It's it's they're trying to recreate social back to what people signed up for social in the first place. So do you think that it's going to be successful? Yes or no? Quick. No. No. John. I think it's going to be successful in some sort of niche community, sort of like how cosplay is kind of taking it. But I don't think wide scale, no. Interesting. So do you not consider 3 million users right now a success? I mean, that's a success, but is it going to be on the scale of like an Instagram or a serious Snapchat competitor? I don't know. So what are the differentiators? What, what sets it apart? As from a user experience, from using it, not necessarily ad-free, which I have some things to talk about. So you can share links, music, movies, TV, books, and places. And they okay, say, I can do all that on Facebook. Yeah, but they say just like, unlike Instagram or Facebook, everything is going to stay in chronological order, and they're not going to mix it up with any type of algorithm. Oh wow, that's a big that's a big change. <laughs> do you know why algorithms exist? To give you what you what, what the, you want yeah what you want yeah right uh, a couple other things i always noticed when i was downloading it and kind of jumping onto it was you can segment your messages or people that you want to follow as close friend acquaintance or just follow yeah and then you can do messages to specific groups really easily so if if, if they're doing chronological order no matter what what good does that do if they're just going to give you acquaintance and close friend stuff chronologically like if that's not to build some type of algorithm based on what they think you'll want to see first, then what's the point of, well, they of have asking? it. I mean, they're really, that feature is straight from like Google circles on Google plus. You can oh yeah. Have, that's you, a good example to pull from. You can make, but let's, like, be, let's be like Google plus. Well, Hey, that's just, if you're wondering like, how does that operate? It's what Google plus was doing already. Facebook technically has that feature, but it's almost impossible to use because you have to like dig, for that, but if I want to make a post uh, that's maybe a, a picture of my kid doing something funny, maybe if I have ten thousand followers, maybe I only want my close friends or my family to see that. Okay. Versus that makes sense. Oh, here's yeah, a trailer yeah. to this sweet new Netflix series. I don't care if everyone sees this, so this is going up. So you can kind of be selective. Whereas right now on most of your social networks, it just goes out to everybody. Whereas here, you can kind of segmentate your content a little bit. Okay. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. The ad-free thing is, is another thing that bothers me the most. Because it's really not ad-free. If you log on, I've created an account already. Like They're allowing companies to create verified uh-huh. Vero accounts, and you can uh, sell your products. So if I sell moccasin shoes for babies, who's that company? Freshly, Freshly picked. Yep. I, could, I can make an account and sell it on there, and then Vero gets a percentage of the sale. So on your home feed, you're sounds like they're just seen. trying to be like every other. Like they're trying to get an aspect of Facebook, Google Plus, Etsy, mm-hmm. Pinterest. They're trying Goodreads. to be a lot, yeah. Which that's I think that's just the tough part. Like in 2018, it's hard to make the the social network for everybody because it's yeah, so but built three million up now. users. I don't understand why people are downloading. I don't understand what you would get from this that you don't it's get from buzz. what you already have. It's the fact that like mainstream, like the Today Show is covering it, like stuff like that, where it's like here's this new network blowing up. It's that fear of missing out. I think there's going to be a lot of downloads. I'd be curious to see how many of those 3 million logged in for a second or third yeah. time. Because if I yeah. wasn't a marketer after my first experience, I'd be like, eh, this is kind of cool. No, you're right. Delete. Okay, yeah. so here, here's my the last thing I'll say, and then I'll pass it off to you guys if you have more. Ad-free is not a, uh, an incentive for me. When you think about Facebook, the ads on Facebook are so targeted to me that they're the ones that I mostly click on or look at, Right. Like I am a demographic. Facebook knows me so well that as I'm scrolling through my feed, the ads are not, they're not disruptive like they used to be. They're not annoying like they used to be. And companies I think are are learning that you have to have quality, good content, even in ads in order to succeed. So it's getting better. It's almost like the, I mean, the ads in a lot of cases are higher quality than the crappy, stupid pictures of food that your friends are posting. So what they're telling me is, hey, we're taking out this feature that you've interacted with the most on your other social networks. Would you, okay, so last question. If if you were outside of the million or three million or however many it gets to before they start charging, would you pay to get in a, a monthly subscription to be on uh, Vero? No. No. No, me neither. Ad-free is only important to me on video content. 
because with Facebook, you ha- you still have the choice. Like, do I want to pay attention to this or just skip right past it? Versus on YouTube, you have to watch that seven seconds or the five seconds. That's where it just gets annoying. Even though it's targeted, you're going in with the mindset of, I'm watching this car crash video. Yeah. Oh, now I got to watch a seven-second Geico commercial. By principle. But, so I, would I close pay. Facebook the moment a video ad pops up in the middle. Oh, I've never had an ad pop up in the middle. Everyone complains about it. It's never happened to me. It happens but, to me. But yeah, I'm happy to pay for uh, YouTube Red, which I have in the past. If Facebook came out with an option to go ad-free for the monthly subscription, period, ads gone fully 100% out of Facebook, would you pay it? If I wasn't a marketer, yes. But I like being hit up with ads because I always get like, this is the new mar- marketing automation tool. I always click on them, check them out. If I was like my wife, she probably would say, yeah, could I please just pay the dollar or $2 a month? You think that's what it would be, a dollar, $2? I don't think they would charge more than that for Facebook. I mean, that's a lot of money for how many users they have. You an extra yeah, $1 a month, that's, that's a billion dollars a month. Yeah, <laughs> so it's easy revenue. They might as well charge that little. All right. Last thing, Rand Fishkin finally left mod it feels like that is the news every time it's like every every few months it's like oh ran he just changed you know blah 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 positions oh he stepped down this oh, time he's, he's this. gone which isn't even true he's still the the chairman of the board mm-hmm. he's still majority owner majority share yeah he's the majority shareholder right, like 24 percent he, he's yeah. gone like bill gates is gone from microsoft like Bill Gates sure. has a seat. And by the way, oh, he's sure. not operating the next like day. twenty episodes of Whiteboard Friday still have Rand in them. Yeah, FYI. yeah. Oh, like they've pre-recorded. Pre-recorded. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think it was a dozen. Is what. And is then what he, said. he says he's still working on a project and tying up that with some other people at Moz that he's immensely proud of. He said in his post. So sure. He's still working on something. Yeah, and he started a software company that's focused more on influencer marketing rather than you know SEO, which I'm excited for. Because yeah. we're getting big into influencer marketing at Dev Mountain, really? and it's just that—it's so? that hassle of finding people. I mean, we're 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 experimenting with a handful of YouTubers. We're seeing really good returns for how little we're paying and how many like lead forms people are filling out, actual student applications. So now we're looking at oh, how do we double or triple down on this because we're getting better returns and long-term returns. We stopped paying those influencers. There's still videos on their channels that keep getting views where they're talking about Dev Mountain or they're linking to it in the description. So what's the model you use? Is Do you pay them per lead? Do you pay them per sale? Or do you pay them a flat fee to I, do a video? Uh, flat fee, usually. Paying per lead is very tough uh, because of all the regulations we have. So we there's a lot of areas where we can't. But Find the loopholes, man. Flat <laughs> fees have been found not to work. In terms of incentives for them to... I mean, think about the compare. I shouldn't say they don't work. If you think about the comparison between giving them a flat fee, they do the work, and then they forget about you versus kind of the Harmon Brothers approach where you pay them per lead, and then they put in more work and effort into selling their videos, getting more reach on their social channels, repeat you know, postings, maybe follow-up videos. It's making you, them an employee. It's making them an affiliate is what, yeah. is what it's really making them instead of an, influ- an influencer, which, uh, again, I, like I can't say, oh, it doesn't work for Dev Mountain. You'd be in a better position to do that. But in most cases, it hasn't worked. So the model is changing. Yeah, like, I agree. Like these the are big st- companies like Samsung who have been paying millions of dollars to these, these uh, influencers, they're not doing it anymore. Yeah, I agree. Because it, get, it gets expensive. And I noticed like on the bigger channels, it's use a promo code, whatever, yeah. uh, during checkout because they're getting an affiliate. For us, like the audience is so incredibly niche. Like These are coding tutorials, design tips, career tips for tech. Uh, and we're paying so little for what we're getting back that we're just kind of keeping it so going do, do until not, it goes. Do you not have affiliates? Um, no, just because of like Title Four. Oh, Title Four. Yeah, stuff. I'm supposed to know what that means. Well, oh, I'm really smart. I'm gonna, um, <laughs> I'm gonna reference Title Four of the Congress uh, law books. Capella, that states- Capella Education is a Title Four school. Therefore, because we're owned by them, it gets very, very complicated and not worth it at all to do affiliates. Um, so yeah, we don't do anything like that. So it's, right now, it's just flat. So you can't do promo codes. No. Well, I mean, it's very tough too. Like we don't sell like a $16 product or a subscription. Like we're selling tuition. And so like, imagine if BYU was like, use promo code, whatever to get 10% off your tuition. Brandon, don't compare yourselves to a freaking full blown <laughs> university. Hey, we're there. <laughs> no, you're not. 
50,000 students this year. No, I'm just kidding. No, but that's there's the the reason people look at universities as this prestigious type thing is because you don't see BYU doing like, hey, you get 10% off tuition and whatnot. So it's very difficult for us to do deals and promo codes. Oh, my codes. gosh. We it, have scholarships. It may, it, it may be hard. It may be hard because you're a Title IV, but if you weren't owned by Capella, like every other freaking boot camp, you would have no problem doing that. Yeah. yeah, and they have in the past. But also, like, there's there's that brand appearance. The moment you start doing promo codes and discounts, it just makes it look like, oh, you can't charge full price you're a cheap brand. for your program. You can get away with that by calling it a scholarship, which we've done, uh, which works. But anytime, okay. yeah, promo codes. I like promo codes. Work, don't work super well. Okay, that's current events. You're all Ooh. updated. You're, you're, <laughs> you're caught updated up. for the week. That was last week today. Now let's get into the nitty gritty. Okay, so uh, there are actually two topics that we touched on last week that we promised we would talk about this week. One of them was the Mueller. Um, I don't know if it's Mueller oh, or yeah. Mueller. Mueller investigation. Mueller. Mueller. It's the Mueller investigation into the Russians that tampered with our election process. This is really interesting. So I've got, I've just, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to, um, I'm going, I'm just going to read through the list of things that they've been accused of doing. And I want you to tell me whether or not that sounds familiar to you. Who's being accused? The Russian government or this agency? The agency is called internet research agency. That's the name of their agency. It was formed in 2011. Sorry, 2014. They hired a couple hundred people. They were spending about $1.25 million a month on ad campaigns, okay? They measured views, comments, and engagement on their social networks. They, they manipulated Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, and Instagram accounts by, by creating fake personas, which, by the way, is that redundant, fake personas? Isn't personas, like, the definition is this is not a real person? I suppose. Uh, they, had, they, had a, they had a Twitter handle, at 10GOP had more than 100,000 followers. They had paid ads, one of which started out by saying, Hillary is a Satan. (laughs) Facebook and Twitter groups were created where they talked about immigration, religion, and Black Lives Matter kind of stuff. Does that sound like something that that is unusual? Sounds like every day for me. I know. Sounds like a marketer's life for me. So the one of the biggest differences that has been called out is the fact that they actually stole U.S. identities, so so including driver's licenses, and then they use those identities to contact um, local news outlets to try to get stories published about their events. Right, so they created real rallies around uh, you know around the United States. Have you heard of any of this stuff? Yes, <clears throat> not to this level of detail. So it's so crazy because I think about the you know Robert Robert Mueller, uh, who he he's the FBI right? He's mm-hmm. he's the he's the lead investigator with the FBI, and he is talking about all this stuff, and the lawyers are talking about this, and it's like this and that, and all the news outlets. It, it's so funny because all of a sudden, it's almost like digital marketing got this huge spotlight, but in the most incredibly negative way. Like oh my gosh. They created fake Twitter accounts. I can't believe they were gaming the social networks. So crazy. So it's been funny to me to to read up on this because it's related to our industry, but it's almost like the crap that you don't really do because it's not really effective. That's the one thing that I think I agree with Robert Mueller on is the fact that everything that they did, all the money that they spent did not really influence the election at all. So to take that a step further, you think about any other company. Okay. You think about companies like Vivint, for example, where our budget is right around that realm. Like we're in that realm of spending millions of dollars a month on ad campaigns and other, other campaigns. And, and, and you think about the reach, you know, it's like, what kind of reach would you specifically need before you influenced an, an, an entire nation to do what you want them to do? So their goal was to get, I mean, they were, they were, their money was spent both on Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, so it wasn't like they, were, they had a preference for one party or the other. It was really like they did not want Hillary Clinton to win, which is interesting, and the motives there are unclear to me. Who was bankrolling it is unclear to me. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know the answers there, but I do know that the tactics and strategies they, they were using were not completely abnormal to the digital marketing world. 
Black Have Cat maybe. Have you ever seen Blacklist? Yeah. Have you watched all of them? No, I watched the first season and thought it was kind of lame. Uh, have you? I watched like a few episodes. Can't. I think it was after first season. But Does I remember this tie I, into the Russians. Well, at one point, uh, the main character Kevin, not Kevin Spacey. No. What's no, his uh, name? Kevin Spade. No. Spade. Yeah. That guy. He was on The <laughs> Office. He was uh, Robert, Robert California. California. That's how yeah. I know him. <laughs> and I found out. James I Spader, right? Lincoln, yeah, James Spader. Lincoln last night, and he's in that, and he swings the boat for Lincoln. Yeah, he, a lobbyist. He oh, needed the government some. to do something, but he needed to create essentially a fake uh, uh, tragedy. And so he like has this underground network of this guy who has a warehouse, and like it's just all these computers and people working, and they essentially work for these, like, criminals like international criminals to create uh fake news and so like hey i need you to make this flood happen in this area and all of a sudden there's all these they own all these twitter accounts that are news that are personal if enough retweets if enough stuff is going on people just believe oh there's photos of this tragedy happen there's bodies there's this organization tweeting it and then regular organizations start getting on board and they've just created an entirely fake uh, thing to then Event. divert the government's attention to do something else. But I, I, I was watching that thinking from a marketer's perspe- uh, perspective, man, imagine if you could just create stories like that, like talk about your company, you make something go viral because you're the one that's like talking about how viral it is. Like imagine if Vero, the real reason they got so big was because they just tapped into this. Because they hired of- an internet research agency to use their, sure their social influence to, <laughs> pull it out yeah you can just become big because people say you're big which is like what a ty lopez type guy does he just pays people at these different magazines to talk about how successful they've been and now that because they have they're featured in forbes they're featured an entrepreneur now they have the social how do you think neil patel made it i'm sure the that's same exactly way exactly how, how they all it. make it but it's kind of the that's on a micro scale they're just doing this on a massive scale because you need to do it on a massive scale to influence something like a national election true so I think they. I think. So I think it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I think they. I think they bit off more than they can chew. I think that the event or what they were trying to influence was too big. But I think that that strategy. I mean, they hired two hundred people. They had tons of money. If they were to try to influence something like a, a specific event in a local area, that would be super easy to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, th- I think that could be done. Anyway, okay. So that is uh, that's the Russia investigation update. Okay, now on to the main event, Brandon. Ding, ding, ding. I'm really interested, actually, to know where we all fall on this. So the main course, right, the main topic of today's episode is gated versus uh, ungated content. Yep. Which this came up originally because you're dealing with this issue right now. Yeah, so we last week, I, I think I mentioned this on the show a little over a week ago. I think it was actually last Thursday. Last Thursday, I went to the UVU Smart Lab, which is, it's actually the UVU Vivint Smart Lab. And what they do is they do marketing, market research. So they bring, like we send them our website, we prepare pre-test questions, we, we give them questions to ask during the, the test and then post-test. And then they actually pay participants of a certain uh, age and gender, basically demographic, to come in, go through the website, go through the specific questions that we created, and then get their opinion on uh, on what we've done, so I actually went to the testing center. They have a two way mirror there, and I was me and a bunch of my That's colleagues were really kind of cool, man. hanging out in, in the back room with our, our fridge full of sodas and Gatorades, with our you know snacks, and we're watch we're observing this guy go through our website. They're tracking his his eyes, they're tracking his cursor, his scrolling. Uh, they even have this little kind of helmet thing on that's monitoring his brain uh, during the whole thing. And uh, so we did that over the course of a week. There were, I don't know, a dozen participants that came in, went through it. And then uh, I think right now they're sifting through the data to, to kind of figure out what we're going to do. But but this came up because on part of the, the portion of the website that we're testing, there's a spot on there that's uh, created as, I mean, it's gated, right? So you go through this survey. The whole idea is we want to personalize this experience. We ask a few questions so that on the landing page they end up on, it's a very personalized experience. Right before, right after the survey questions and right before the landing page, there's a section that says, hey, do you want to download this uh, ebook that, you know, whatever, give us your email address. As we were leaving, 
kind of the testing area, we got to the lobby and me and three of my colleagues started talking about gated content and it got really passionate because there were some of us on one side thinking that it, gated content is great and awesome and, and people on the other side who are saying, no, we should just give, give everything away. We shouldn't gate anything. So when I came in to record last week, I talked to Brandon about it. Uh, obviously, there wasn't enough time to kind of prepare enough information and, and put our thoughts together to put an episode together that night. But we now have had a week to put some thought into gated versus uh, ungated content. And here we are today, Brandon. If, yes. if I were to, if I were to, let's start off like this, just, just so we're perfectly clear on the side in which we plan on arguing for gated or ungated as uh, a preference. Well, don't I, tell me, don't, no, 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 no. Okay. Everything I, I've, I've looked at most people I talk to, they, oh, it depends. I'm it saying it does depend. Yeah, that's, does. The, sure. that's the answer. That's not, that's not the answer I'm looking for. If you could do one or the other and not both and not neither, which would it be? Um, assuming it's done properly, then I'd go gated. John, see that's a it depends answer. No, it's not. Yeah. It can't depend because You're I give you no like, alternatives. Absolutely, every single piece of content is gated, or absolutely everything yes. is open. Yes. Then I guess I'll just go open. Okay, I'd open. You would. Yeah. Okay. If you were to create a ratio, fifty percent is open, fifty percent is closed, or gate. Sorry, fifty percent gated, fifty percent ungated, eighty percent is gated. 20% is ungated, what would the ratio be? So we're kind of broadening the scope a little I'm bit, right? You're saying my, it depends. I'm pulling this out of my butt. I'm going to say 70% open, accessible content. Ungated. Ungated, and then 30% behind John, what do you think? Gate. I'm going to go... I'm going to go... Uh, dang, that, that's a good ratio. I don't you wanna, can copy that. I don't no, care. No, no, uh, But, you know, okay. 71% open. Yes, and 29% gated. Is that, is that, okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's telling, right? First of all, if you were to choose one or the other, you chose non-gated, which is telling. That's telling. Especially since now I know 70% is open. I know that, you know, you have you have an understanding of, of, uh, of non-gated, gated, whatever. Tell me where you want to start here. Why, why 70%? Why 30? I mean, you said you were pulling it out of your butt, but it had to come from somewhere. So I actually came across, and I mentioned this last week when we were talking off the show. Sorry, real quick. We should define what gated content is. Gated content, I'll def- I, I, the way I'm defining it is content where a user has to uh, give their email up it's, to... It's, uh, it's form, right? If you have to fill form. out a form before you get it, that's gated. So, I, I mean, it doesn't have to be email. Some people want phone numbers. Some people want name you yep. know, address, whatever. Like us on Facebook. If you have to give up a piece of information in order to consume a piece of content, that content is gated. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Well, and two opposing, so they actually, so this article on uh, Core DNA, I guess, uh, this is, and it's funny because it came across my LinkedIn feed like a day or two before you brought that up. So I'm like, oh, I need to look into that more because it looked like a really well done post. But... um they brought up two opposing points. One was from uh, Mike. Uh, I don't know his last name. He's one of the founders of HubSpot. He, he in his argument for, which if you go to HubSpot, they do a lot of gated content. He says, if I can get 100,000 people to see that page and I get 28,000 people to fill it out, um, 28,000 contacts may be more valuable than even 50,000 people seeing the content. So a hundred thousand people seeing like the landing page, not the actual content. He'd rather get 28,000 leads than 50,000 people seeing the post. See, so so I like that. And that's a really good place to start because the, I, I even wrote this down in my notes. The question that I wrote down is very similar to that. What would you prefer? Would you prefer 1000 people leave their info, right? So you, you get your content and you get a thousand people to leave their info, which turns them into a lead. Or would you prefer 20,000 people to read or consume your content without ever leaving their info? I'd want the thousand. Okay. Brandon. I mean, do I get, and there's no actions outside of that. You said 20,000 people. Like, uh, no, I did not say that there are no actions. Cause that's the big part. Like if I'm seeing that 20,000 people are just reading it and leaving, uh, versus I could have gotten a thousand emails. Okay, so, take the thousand emails. So, so that's the thing is, is there's opportunity slash potential because 20,000 people aren't just going to read it, right? If you have 20,000 people reading your stuff, 
I mean, that's pretty considerable. I mean, if you if you have a large following, that's understandable. If you don't, then 20,000 people could mean something totally different than just 20,000 people. Yep. Meaning, who knows, 5,000 people share it on their social platforms. Uh, 1,000 people referenced it on their own blog, and they've got following, and it just spread, right? So the question is not 20,000 people read it and left. It's 20,000 people read it, and, and, and you can turn that potential into whatever you want. So John is saying he'll take the 1,000 leads. What do you say, Brandon? I'm going to take the... I'm going to take the 1,000 leads. Okay, so this is why this episode is going to be so good, because I wholeheartedly disagree. <laughs> I, would, I would 100 times more often take the 20,000 views, and so here's you're, why. You're like Rand Fishkin. Here's why. Oh, oh that's, a, that's a great compliment, Because his Brandon. quote was on yeah. the other side. The opposite. On what? He said, a lot of people will see the forum and say, forget it. I don't want to fill out the forum. The vast majority of people are unwilling to share a piece of content that has a forum in front of it. A lot fewer people will blog and tweet something that has a forum on it. In other words, you're, those 20,000, he's saying those 20,000 people that see it, Bounce. there's going to be a bunch of people who might tweet it, which then get even more people, uh, blog about it, link to it. And I mean, Rand's an SEO guy, so obviously. Are you an he, SEO guy? I love SEO. Yes, you're an SEO guy. John, are you an SEO guy? Yes, sir. Yeah, we're all SEO I feel guys. like we're trying to pigeonhole this into like all gated, all I ungated. No, and you can't. And I, I, it, because depending on what the content is. Sure, we'll get Twitter. there. No, we'll get there. All right. We'll get there, okay? But we're, we're still focused on this question, which is, which is I really like. And I thought I wrote this down, but there's, uh, I may have it up here. This is just like SEO, would you rather? <laughs> Basically. Yeah, that's a fun game. What we'll to play it sometime once we get out of uh, digital marketing roulette questions? No, there will be plenty of those. Would you rather? I like that. It's not a bad episode. Okay, here it is. Okay, this is this is this is why the twenty thousand is the better option. <clears throat> I'm 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 pulling this from verticalresponse.com. Uh, he quotes a couple of people. I'm just going to read this. When you give your content away, your content will be shared and seen by many more eyeballs and prospective customers and clients. Don't believe me? David Meerman, uh, David Meerman Scott says that according to his statistics, a white paper or ebook will be downloaded 20 times and up to 50 times more without a gate in front of it. Joe Polizzi, known as the grandfather of content marketing and the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, says, let's say you received 1,000 leads via your white paper download. From David's numbers, let's even take a more conservative 10x more downloads if we remove the gate. This would give us 10,000 downloads with no lead data. If you are those people, let's say that 1% would share this or blog about it with their audience with a very conservative audience of 100 people, although most blogs get much more. With those numbers, the total possible content reach for gated content would be 2,000 people. Non-gated content would be 20,000 people. So would you rather have 2,000 potential leads or 20,000 people reading your content? Now, here's another thing. You put a condition on the 20,000. Do they, do they just come and leave? Because if that's the case, then I'm out. What about the 1,000 or 2,000 leads that you get? How many do you think will be qualified leads? Like, let's put a qualifier on that. What percent of the 1,000 will be qualified and worth the, 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 the time and effort making the gate, making the content, and then acting on that lead. I don't know. Depends on what you're selling. John, this is not a depends episode <laughs> I know. because everything depends. Okay, so let's talk about when it's okay to get your content. That's a good place to start. No, we've already started, so we're not starting there. <laughs> Are you asking me for some? Sure. When is it okay to get your content? Um, I think it's okay when you have something unique. So, one thing I look for is, uh, is this something that is searchable? Uh, is there an SEO play behind it? If that's the case, then we definitely want to keep it open. And I think, because a lot of times in, the, in this article that I refer to makes a good point that it's not one or the other. It's often both. In order for a gated piece of content to work, you have to have a good mouth-watering teaser. And usually that is a bunch of blog posts. Like when I go to HubSpot... Their blog is full of tons of free open content. You can just keep reading blog posts after blog post, and they're really good posts. And it makes you way more likely when I, when you're at the bottom of that post where it says, hey, 
do you want to see this case study of how this HubSpot user went from uh, this many users to this many users in X number of months? Uh, then you're way more likely to download that because you saw all of that good free content. And so I think it's uh, so this article actually that goes through and it numbers like when to um, when to gate and when not to gate and um, bundles are a great time to gate, which maybe this isn't a direct answer to your question, but it's one thing that stood out to me because gated content usually is done wrong like download this ebook i feel like yeah that can work but it's so overdone they did they gave this example of copy blogger where they didn't just um do like an email course or a free ebook what they did was grab 16 high impact ebooks and our 20 part internet internet marketing course free registration right here and they're talked about how and that had like a 400 percent increase in their signups, $300,000 in sales. I've noticed that bundles, people like bundles, like, Hey, I've got this marketing stack with the 16 best social platforms. And these tips here, like they like kind of that all in one type stuff. That's something that wouldn't necessarily do that great as a blog post. It would do better as a lead or, or sorry, as a gated piece of content, because it's something unique. Like no one's searching 15 best eBooks type thing. They are searching for maybe best eBooks, and then you can bundle stuff together. Something that kind of adds a little bit deeper stuff to the conversation. That's when I say you gate. I have more to say on that, but I'll stop there. You feel like you've been, you've said too much. I've said too much. So my opinion is, uh, you know what? Last week when I was thinking about this, I was like, I, I don't think you should gate ever. That was my opinion a week ago. Throughout the week, I've been reading... And I feel like my opinion was uh, kind of being swayed a little bit where I was like, you know what? Maybe there, is, maybe there are instances where getting your content is okay. And then today, I think, actually, a few hours ago, I changed my mind again. And I'm back to, no, I don't think you should ever get <laughs> your content. So I came across a quote that, uh, that I really liked. It was, it was from Contently. And it was, instead of hooking prospects on the anticipation of value, which is pretty much what gating your content is, right? It's saying, hey, there's value on the other side of this gate. Let me have your info. Uh, that's the perception of value. So you're trying to get their information. You're trying to make an exchange of goods based on anticipation of value. So instead of hooking prospects on the anticipation of value, the ungated strategy hooks them with delivered value. In other words you can get more loyalty and trust from customers if you give away amazing content for free without, without the expectation of anything in return. Uh, I think Moz and Gary Vaynerchuk are two great examples. Yeah. Of yeah. That. Yeah, totally. To say Moz. So uh, Gary V, he has his book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, which that's basically the premise of the book is just give, 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 give. And the ask, which is the right hook, is not their information. It's the actual purchase. So give everything away for free. And then when you come out with a new book, hey, I just wrote a book. You should buy it. They're more likely to buy it because of the trust and loyalty that you've uh, built over the time that you've been giving away this free content. So so that's that's my one take. The second thing I'll say is if you do end up gating, because Vivint, we gate. And you know what? I... Uh, I, so I, one of the teams that I manage is the content marketing team. And that's where you typically find most of the gated content. And when I hired my content marketing manager, Seth Hawkins, he, we talked about gated content and he's for gated content. And I told him, listen, I'm not into gated content, but you manage this channel. You can do whatever you want. And he was, he was actually there on the conversation last week when we talked about gated content, but I will say this, if you are planning on getting your content in my research over the last week and throughout my career, there's, there's a specific strategy called the pillar, uh, model. Have you heard of this? So if you're going to gate your content or create a content marketing strategy, it's called the content pillar approach. That was in this article, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, I read that article a week ago. I don't know. That was very, like uh, very confusing end. form the pillar principle. Yeah. It's a very weird flow so it's uh the the reason i like it is because i've always been a big proponent of repurposing your content and that's part of the pillar approach so if i were to take just a few seconds to explain what this means it's basically you take a concept right so 
I'll, I'll use a, a campaign that Brandon is doing that we talked about last week. Uh, top 10 coolest tech companies to work for. And then you would go from city to city. It's a blog post. If you took the pillar approach, what you would do is you would turn it not just into a blog post, but you would turn it into some kind of graphic. You would turn it into a video. You would turn it into a slide share, right? You, you, you would have social campaigns where you have tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram uh, images that you're sharing that all lead to the same blog post, right? So the reason I say this is awesome is because if you're going, if you, again, I'm against gating content, but if you are going to gate content, you can take that 30% that you had mentioned earlier, Brandon, and you can gate that. The 70% could be the social shares. It could be the blog post. It could be the videos and that all, all of that could potentially drive people to the gated portion, which could be, you know, a, a directory of all the companies that are currently hiring in tech in this city, right? Which to someone who's looking for a job could be a pretty valuable piece of content. I just made that up literally as the words were coming out of my mouth. So it may <laughs> not be the perfect example, but the 70% would be all over the place. It's like the Blitzkrieg model where you're just Blitzkrieging the heck out of every platform with the same campaign, driving them to one specific place where they uh, can then give up their information and when you talk about perceived value, you've actually already delivered 70% of the value. They're just exchanging information for the last 30. That's, I mean, that's kind of the basic uh, tenant of, of the pillar approach. Anyway, some comments? Of, some of the reasons they did mention on here that go along when not to get your content, some of them include you don't have ungated content, ungated content to back you up. Meaning if you take the approach where everything's just gated right at, right from the get-go, you don't have any trust in place, which you need that. Uh, when not to get your content, you're offering surface-level content to uh, the surface of your funnel. Uh, also, you're, you're asking too much at a low-commitment stage. And I think a good example like of, of funnels that work well, A, I will say, don't ever do gated content if you don't already have a marketing funnel in place. So if you don't know what the next step is, like why are you wanting to collect the emails? What's the next step? Some people just hear gated content, like they're collecting emails and they don't actually work out. Well, if someone does download this guide or this ebook, what's the follow-up? And, and what's the follow-up after that? You need that in place first. So, so let me give you an example here. I see this all the time and it works. Uh, and there's a reason people do this. You see it on these guys who are, trying to run these courses where they're going to teach you how to be, how, how to get uh, clients worth $10,000 a month, uh, or you're going to make $10,000 a month managing Facebook ads and you click on it and it goes, and usually there's a landing page with a video and right away they're giving you advice. There's a video or maybe it's an article saying, here are three tips on getting, on getting your own Facebook clients. Try to go after these types of companies. And here's why, uh, try to, uh, offer these types of services. Don't do this. So they give you enough value where you're at least look, you're, you're, you're interested. Now you're ready for, okay, what's the next step? And then that's where they pull you in. There's some type of uh, email opt-in where maybe it's a, a video. Here's, I have a 30 minute webinar that I, I go through and I actually handle all this stuff, or I have a 10 page guide talk, walking through the details more than I can do on this video of how to charge, how to contact these people, how to draft up a statement of work document. That's stuff that's pretty valuable. And that's, that's the stuff that you're saying you should get. That's the gated content, but that would not work right off the bat. If you didn't have, they gained that trust by showing a video of them talking. And I think videos are very effective sure. yeah. uh, in front of gated because you're able to see the person. You just gain that trust within that first few minutes. You're like, okay, this guy or girl knows what they're talking about. I'll, I'm now interested in this guide versus if you just ran ads to that guide, I think the first question people have is, well, who's this person? How do I know if this is worth me giving up my email and then getting a bunch of spam messages? So yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but, uh, <laughs> That's one good example of gated content, and obviously it works because these guys make millions doing it. Yeah, it's true. The one thing I Neil Patel, I, would, I think Neil Patel. One time you brought that up. Yeah, he's uh, so not Neil, but one thing that you mentioned is you just need to make sure you have a plan after the the info is collected. So if you collect someone's email address, you should have a plan on what you're going to do with it before you even start collecting it in the first place. Yep. So I wanna I wanna switch gears just a little bit. There's an element in kind of brick and mortar world 
that you don't see enough of in the digital world, and that's the honor system. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. This is like you walk into your office building and there's a basket of bagels, yep. and there's a there's a, a you know a, a ten a tin right next to it with a little sign that says bagels one dollar. Please leave it here in this or whatever. And actually, studies have shown that when the honor system is in play in that setting, the the guy selling the bagels is actually making more money than he otherwise would have if he were standing there collecting the money. Yep. Okay, so here, here's what I want to talk about the honor system. I want to share two examples of uh, brick-and-mortar stores doing it, and then I have a proposition for you for Market Campus that I want to talk through. Oh, boy. So there's a berry farm. It's the Swanton Berry Farm, and they have set up basically a, a mini farmer's market kind of thing where they've got a truck with their you know their produce sitting out. Uh, I think it's right next to their, their berry fields. And anyone can go and pick berries. They can, um, you know, they grab the berries, they grab the produce, whatever. I think he's got some eggs in, in, that you can grab uh, along with, um, I don't know, produce. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But this guy, uh, he's a farmer. He's got other things to do than sit around waiting for people to drive by and, and buy his stuff. So he's created a sign that says honor system. And he has prices. And, and you know, the berries, it's, it's based on, on weight. And he's got a scale there. And people can stop. They pick out whatever they want, and and they go and they buy it, right? So that's the brick and mortar. I mean, it's not really brick and mortar, but that's kind of like the real world, world example. Uh, I really like this story because the guy got the idea from a different business owner back when he was in college. It was a donut shop, and the the owner would be in the back making his donuts, and he would just leave the cash register open in the front, and people would be responsible for picking out their their items and then paying for it and making their own change and just leaving the cash register open. So that that's what spawned the idea for this guy. The honor system is not like a new concept, but but you you rarely see it in the digital world, as I previously mentioned. We talked a little bit uh, off the air about this, and you brought up kind of donations from uh, like third-party open-source software where you can use it for free but they're like if you like it donate you know x amount of money there are other examples of uh like wikipedia right where they give you all their content for free it's completely ad free and then every once in a while they they throw up a banner asking for donations uh so here's my proposition for you with market campus brandon well here's another theory on why i don't think you see it a lot online is because in the brick and in, in in real life, I guess you would say the advantage on both sides or the advantage to the owner who's providing the goods, they don't have to be there. Whereas the internet, we have the luxury of, I don't have to be there to collect the money. So there's less incentive to say, Hey, uh, you know, be, uh, be honest, pay whatever, because there's systems that sure. are just automated to collect. No, I get that, but kind of like vending machines. Sure. But I think that there's, I think there's a psychological element to it. When, when someone is standing over a cash register collecting your money, there's absolutely no trust, right? Not to say that, like, the owner would be like, no, 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 no. It's not that I don't trust them, but the, the customer is like, it, it, it feels like they're being policed, right? If you give the wrong amount, you're there to say, oh, you gave the wrong amount. The, you, the customer doesn't even have the opportunity to show that, that the side of them that's honorable, right? So, so that's when you look at the studies on the honor system – People like it because they can show you that they are honest and it gives them that opportunity. So, so another example in Salt Lake city, there's, there's a restaurant. It's, it's like a, it's, it's where you can go buy some meals. I can't remember. It's called like, I think it's called lunchbox, but you go over there and it's a sandwich shop. You go and you order your food and you pick what price you want to pay. And you, I mean, people know that the money uh, that you pay goes towards homeless shelters, which kind of adds a little bit different. But it's basically you choose your own price. So you go in there, you get your sandwiches, and then you pay what you think you can either afford or what you think is fair. And and they and they find that people typically pay more than what they would have made if they listed prices. So that I think there's a psychological element to that. And with, with websites on the digital side, that psychology would still exist. So when I talk about Market Campus, you are offering a subscription service to learn digital marketing, SEO. Uh, what, are, what are the other courses you got? 
Uh, SEO is the big one right now, and I'm reworking content marketing, social media marketing, web analytics. You had paid at one point. Yes. Which, right, yeah, so it's available to those who have our current subscribers. If you were to go to Market Campus, like the courses right now, only the SEO one is available, but uh, I, I think I know where you're going with this. So yes, I, continue I imagine here. you do. So my, my, I, I'm proposing this because this would be a really fun and mm, I say easy. It may not be that easy experiment. I think you should open up your platform to anyone and then add messaging that basically says, choose your own price. What do you think it's worth? And, uh, you could, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about perceived value versus delivering value. You could give a portion of the, the course for free, allow them to peruse the first chapter. They can see how well it's written, how valuable it is. And then, uh, in order to unlock the rest of the course, they have to pay, but they choose their own price. They can't choose zero. Uh, you would, you would have to be, you know, you'd have to finagle the messaging and you could, you could split test that, but, but basically, but don't you, you feel like this? that by, by having that wall there, doesn't that defeat the whole honor system? Like, wouldn't it be a real true case study if the whole shebang was available, available for free? Sure. You want to do that? Cause otherwise it is just like any other lead thing. Like, Hey, sign up for our Netflix account, try it out for two days. And if you like it. I mean, I guess you could still say pay pay what you think it's worth, but uh, I almost like the idea of saying, here it all is. Uh, click over yeah. here wow, to pay I what d- it's I worth. I didn't think that you would come back saying, you know, Jacob, you're too conservative on this. You're too conservative, right? All right. Well, Money is not an issue here. <laughs> so, okay. So, so in your idea, you open the whole thing. How would you prompt them? I'm or- not saying I like the idea. I'm saying you would get a more accurate picture of what you're painting, like. Okay, my, so the point of me bringing this up is I want I want you to commit to doing something like this. I want okay. I want to, I want to experiment with with Market Camp. It's a perfect example of a subscription model where right now you're charging ten dollars a month. If you just open it up for free for two months, I don't know how I, that might set set you back. You might miss your mortgage payment. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, for an experiment to determine because I would theorize that if you set it up properly, right now you're charging ten dollars a month. I imagine that you could potentially get more on average, more than $10 a month. If you open it up and created this honor system by uh, prompting people to pay what they think is fair. That's, that was my other question was would a better approach be pay what you want per month? Or would you say a one-time donation? Here's access to the courses, uh, pay what it's worth right here. And it's a one-time type thing. I feel like I would get more if it was a one-time thing. Because when it's monthly, it's like, well, I don't know what my financial situation is going to be in three months. I don't want to commit. What, what, if, what if every month they can choose a different amount? They could. So you set it up, and it's a subscription, because I think the subscription is better. It's subscription, and this month you pay $10. Next month you pay $20. Next month, oh, you know, you can't really afford it. You pay $1 that month. But then the next month you're like, you know what? I'm paying $30 because I missed last month. I'm wondering how like psychologically this would impact your customer. For one, I, I think I could be wrong, right? This is an experiment, but I think that you would average more than $10. Second, I think that you would garner more trust in your brand. And I think you could get some media coverage and some link building. I think that this could be a really cool experiment slash uh, test experiment slash test a case study yeah Uh, no it'll be a uh, i think it could be a really is that me i thought it was me but i don't think it's me no that was me uh so can you commit to doing that i will commit to looking into it (laughs) i'm not just saying that i will look into it uh and if the logistics are there in terms of i think the idea i like it uh it's the development aspect. If I can get all that worked out to where it works out the way we're envisioning it, yeah. then, I will, then I will commit to testing it out. How about this? Can I get you to commit to next week, so one week from today, to having it scoped out? So you kind of have – you can come back and be like, listen, logistically, this isn't going to work, and that's fine. But if you feel like it's going to work – Give me two weeks. Okay, you got two weeks. You come back, and you're like, hey, you remember that experiment we, we came up with? Here's what it's going to look like. If, if it works out, you can say, uh, it's going to work like this. Everything's going to be open. Here's how, here, you know, and then we can walk through it. And then we'll take our listeners through the journey together. 
Fair enough. Does that sound good? That works. Okay. We are out of time. That was a pretty good episode. Fantastic. I'm, I'm really interested to know how many people listening are on my side of the argument when it comes to gated versus ungated. And to remind you, my side is no gate, right? This is not a gated community. This is you can drive in, no hassle for your mailman because he doesn't need a gate code. It's kind of a dumb uh, example, but <laughs> I don't think you should gate your content at all. Zero percent nada. Brandon, he has a 70-30 rule. 70% of your content should be free and open. 30% should be... I, I shouldn't commit you to that. that you, you, did, you did say that you pulled that out of your butt. Yep, I did. But whatever ratio you end up being, I'm interested. Uh, reach out to us inbound at belowthefold.io. Let us know if you get your content or if you don't get your content and why. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other listening platform that you use. Reach out on Twitter at below the fold IO. All, our email once again is inbound at the app, excuse me, inbound at below the fold.io. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the show. And that's it. Until next week, we'll see you below the fold. Y'all have a great week. Y'all have a great week now here. <laughs>